0: we want to continue and now in in revelation 12 now the discussion will focus on the interaction between the woman and the dragon for our purposes this is an an end of the age showdown reaching its final chapter in a series of prior occurrences and I've detailed, uh, or at least referenced, some of these prior showdowns between the dragon and the woman. Uh, In summary, just to say, the woman is the carrier of that which represents and will become the man in the image and likeness of God. And the dragon is the consistent and one might even say persistent opposition to this man in the image and likeness of God emerging out of creation. God established creation to produce a man in His image and likeness so that ultimately in this corporate man God Himself will dwell and in this corporate man God will put on display who God actually is. His nature, His character and His power. That's why Paul wrote to the Ephesians in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians and stated that his ostensible purpose for writing the book of Ephesians to the Ephesians, to the church in Ephesus, and by extension to the Gentiles, was for three reasons. Number one was, that the the believers might have wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ concerning these three things. Number one, the hope of His calling, what He called people out of darkness into light uh, to become. What hope did He invest in that? The ecclesia, the out called, He called us out of to be assembled into He goes on in the book of Ephesians, the first chapter, to talk about this plan existing before the foundations of the world. So it obviously allows for the framing of God's divine intent uh, for the creation itself and for mankind with specificity. Number one was the hope of His calling, number two was His glorious inheritance in the saints, so how this was the prize in the mind of God to be attained. And number three was the working of His mighty power on behalf of those who believe. The reason I keep going back to the rest of Scripture when we come across these references in the book of Revelation is that it's obvious Revelation does not, the book of Revelation does not exist independently in the scriptures. All of the symbology of it uh, can be understood and is meant to be understood by the deconstruction of uh, uh, other scripture that has been written about exactly the same things. You know, there are people who just love mystery for its own sake, and they forget that a mystery is, a, a mystery is typically of no value to anybody. You know, the only value of a mystery is when it's revealed. When it's revealed. But, but we, have, we, we have, you'll pardon me for a moment, but we've got people today who will take the plane, the thing that has been revealed. And turn it into a mystery. <laughs> I mean, how idiotic. Religion does that all the time. I mean, why do priests walk around swinging censers with incense? Why do they do that? When you turn the plane into a mystery, you exalt the symbol as the thing that is important, not what the symbol symbolizes. In order when you do that, you see, you're re-establishing a barrier when God broke it down. I knew this one woman uh, who she really had a prophetic gift, but then her character remained undeveloped. And the sign that uh, her prophetic gift had now become something else. Was She would take things that were plain and do her very best to convolute them. If you know the woman, (laughs) if you were to ever have met her, uh, she was one of these gals who uh, had such a poor image of herself. I don't know any other woman who could approach her or who could penetrate her defenses. She always quickly retreated and usually very erratically and very inconsistently, she quickly retreated to a mysterious poise and to a higher perch. Needless to say there's no real use for people like that in the kingdom of God. That's like, turning, that's like turning wine into water, <laughs> it's, you're going in the wrong direction. So, so th- these symbols have their antecedents uh, in plain Scripture. So wherever the woman appears carrying the divine seed, and whenever that seed comes forth on the earth, it is endowed with the power of the living God and part of what it does is to destroy the works of the devil. Whenever the Son of God is revealed, in whatever fashion the Son of God is revealed, whether uh, Moses liberating Israel from the control of Pharaoh, the type and shadow of Satan, or Christ appearing and wounding the serpent by crushing his head, a mortal wound, uh, or this child that appears, a male child, um, uh, and sometimes it's rendered a man child because although it's new in its appearing, it appears full grown, it appears as the product of the time of gestation. So uh, this this you know, Adam, God did not raise Adam in the garden. Adam was not a barefoot kid running around in the garden. He was old enough to have a wife. God caused a deep sleep to fall on him, and and out of his side he removed a rib made the woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, "'This is flesh of my flesh, bone of my flesh. He was old enough and mature enough to have a wife. Christ was born for the, in an ordinary way, meaning the way humans are born, uh, so the last Adam is a perfect example in all the ways that man will ever be. So he wasn't born uh, capable of having a wife, he was born and was raised and grew up, but his, his, the point was not to focus on his birth or his growing up. Uh, the prophecy of Scripture is, unto us a child is born to become- and that's my paraphrase, uh, I could let me just finish the quote- unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given so the child is born to become the son who is given, not just to be a child. That's why any religion or religious group that exalts the mother over the child will keep the child in a state of permanent infancy um, and will exalt the mother as the access to the child. That's silly. Point and purpose of the child is to become the son who is given, not merely to be born. So the reference here to a man child or even a male child is a reference not to the growing up, not to the months of gestation, not to learning obedience by the things we suffer, but His readiness for the purpose for which He was brought into the world. Jesus Himself would say that. Uh, when, they, uh, when He was in, encouraged by His disciples to sidestep His destiny in order to avoid the, the, the horror and punishment, or, or death rather, execution by crucifixion, His view was, unto this end I was born. So there's a revealing here, not of a child uh, but of the fully grown up, the one who is mature and ready for his destiny. So this dragon is always waiting to devour, always waiting to capture in a state of potential vulnerability, capture the child when he's brought out, when he, comes, when he appears. And it says, uh, "This child, you see, was to rule the nations with a rod of iron." So there can there cannot be any doubt as to who this child is. He is in the image and likeness of Christ. For Christ was destined to rule the nations; is destined to rule the nations with a rod of iron and we will rule and reign with Him. So the corpus Christi, the word corpus being corpse or body or corporate, Christ as opposed to Jesus is a many-membered spiritual man. The head, the crowned head, is the Lord Jesus, the Christ, the body, is the executive function of the head. We are the plenipotentiary of His power. In other words, we are the potential for the seeing of His plenary or complete purpose or power. We are the plenary plenipotentiary, plenary simply means complete, we are the complete demonstration of His power. That's why He told us, you will do greater works than what I did, I'm going to my Father. And again I go back to what I said a few recordings ago when I said the natural man, the man who is only concerned about his bios life, the life of his biology, has to be the greatest, has to be the most, has to be the fastest, has to be the richest. The man in the Spirit, understands empowerment, that in the Spirit you're empowered to attain the likeness of God. See, God's standard is the ultimate, He's never going to be less than Himself, even when He makes Himself less than Himself. It is to elevate others to the pre-existing state, so in the spirit there's no competition. In the spirit there's room for everybody. Because the goal is the same. And no one is greater or lesser in terms of value and indeed ultimately in terms of identity. We may have greater or lesser authority. But that's more on the order of his of the arrangement of his executive power how He means to execute what He does. And He does mean for you, for one subject to His rule, to obey the authorities that He has set and to honor the authorities that He has set because it's the the way one honors Him and it's the way one learns to honor. So because we're all ultimately subject to the head, we must all learn the principle of honor. And a person may talk about honor, and in fact many people talk about honor, only as it regards themselves, the desire to be honored, and they will position themselves as honorable and worthy of being honored. You really honor the Christ in the other, and if the Christ is absent from the other, what is elicited under the guise of honor is more an extraction from a heart that is corrupt. Wanting honor, refusing to give honor. Now, so always this conflict, but this child was to rule the nations with a rod of iron. So it simultaneously refers to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Head and the corporate body, the many members of His holy self, of His spiritual self. And her child, the enemy is ready to pounce, and her child was caught up to God and His throne and the woman fled into the wilderness. Now let me show you how our minds work. The moment we read this child was caught up to God and His throne, what do we think? Yes, He's out of here, He's in heaven, we forget heaven is already on earth in terms of the power of His authority. This is not a reference necessarily to someone being taken up out of this world, it is a reference more to what Jesus said, you are in Me and I am in you. Let them be one in us. That's being caught up to God and to his throne. In what sense was Jesus, in what sense was it true that God was in Christ? When Jesus said in John 17, let them be one in the fashion in which you and I are one. You are in me. In what sense was God in Christ? And the power of this is it requires an earthly presence in order for the nations to be reconciled to God. For God was in Christ, God appeared in Christ, to do what? to reconcile the world to Himself. This is not a reference to a rapture, to being taken out, this is a reference to a changing of your position from the Son of the Woman to the Son of God. Why? Because the woman brought forth a child whose destiny was to rule the nations with a rod of iron, who was caught up to God and to His throne. You know, God is never seen in creation, the Father is never seen in creation, He's heard in creation but never seen. Why is that so? His disciples came to Jesus on one occasion and they said, "'Show us the Father'." If God, ever intended to appear in a form in creation as just Himself, He would have showed up then. But it's simple, it's simple. He established creation so He may appear vicariously. A vicarious appearing of God is an incarnation, the, the, the form of God that may be incarnated and the intended form of God to be incarnated is His nature and His character and He will support His incarnation with quote the working of His mighty power on behalf of those who believe. Again I reference back to what I just talked about in the last last section or last recording, the one just prior to this, where I talked about Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the three imperatives to the Ephesians, the hope of His calling, His glorious inheritance in the saints, and the working of His mighty power on behalf of those who believe. You see, we we have this notion that being caught away, being lifted out is salvation. No, not at all. Salvation is in him. To be quote, let me be specific. For this is what Paul said in in his letter to the Philippians, "...for our lives are now hidden with God in Christ." We are hidden with God in Christ, so that when Christ, who is our lives, appear, we shall appear with Him in glory. Listen to what Jesus said when some of His disciples told Him, Herod was planning to kill Him, Herod being a type of Satan. He responded by saying, "'Go tell that fox I say, "'I will cast out demons today and tomorrow "'and on the third day I'll reach My goal.'" In other words, it's not a thing you can do to thwart why I'm here. Now today and tomorrow, 2,000 years. So He didn't plan to actually be here for 2,000 years, but to be physically present on the earth for 2,000 years, He planned to carry on through His body for 2,000 years and He'll return on the third day. So when the Father is in you, let them be one in the manner in which we are one, you are in Me. When you're in Christ, when you are assembled to the Corpus Christi, the resulting state is this, in the same manner in which God was in Christ, in the same manner He is in you and for the same purpose and you are in the Father because the Father is in me, I am in the Father. That's a different administration. The Father is, the Spirit of the Father is literally present in you in fellowship with your Spirit and that's why He sent us the Holy Spirit because the Spirit of the Father is brought to us. The Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of the Son are brought to us in the complete divine Spirit of God known as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has all of the characteristics of the Father in Him and the Holy Spirit has all of the characteristics of the Son in Him. So in the Spirit of God is the entirety of the kingdom of heaven. It is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit because in the Spirit, our spirits are in fellowship with the Spirit of the Father so we know we have the Father. He gives us the Holy Spirit and what is the first thing we do? What is our first response upon receiving the Holy Spirit? The same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. What is our first response? Father, Father, it's it's the Spirit of the Father that acquaints our mindsets with the fact that we're born of, of God. "...whoever is born of the Spirit has received the Spirit of Sonship." Which means the Spirit of the Father is one of the imports into our being through the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of the Son is also in the Holy Spirit. So the Father is a Spirit, the Son is a Spirit and they're brought to humanity and brought to the body of Christ by the third person of the Godhead or the third representation of the Godhead who is the complete representation of the Godhead now like Jesus was the complete representation of the Godhead in His time. So to be caught up to God is not about going anywhere. To be caught up to God is to be hidden with God in Christ and... He said to His disciples, "'I've given you permission to sit with Me "'on My Father's throne.' "'When, do we, when are we seated with Him in he- heavenly realms?' "'When we die?' No. "'When you're a spiritual man, "'the heavenlies have come to wherever you are.' Let me show you something about the throne of God. Though it's located in heaven, it moves from heaven to earth whenever the the rightful regent is sitting on the throne. So the throne of God will come out of heaven and will be upon the earth as the Jerusalem of heaven comes into the earth. But the throne is just a symbol. Of what is the throne a symbol? It's a symbol of His His power, symbol of His authority. And He decreed and declared His power and authority upon the earth when He said to His disciples, "'All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me, go ye therefore. So by what authority are we functioning if we are in the kingdom of heaven while we are on the earth? We are functioning by the authority of the throne of God. So this Son who is born is caught up to God and His throne. He's caught up to God because he is assembled to the body of Christ where the Father is to be met in the person of Christ for the Father is in Christ. That way he's assembled to God, caught up to God and to the power of His throne. The woman then flees into the wilderness where she has a place prepared for her by God. I want to focus on the woman who flees into the wilderness when we come back. I'm Sam Solon. we'll continue to unpack the book of Revelation chapter 11. See you then, bye-bye.